All right. Well, good evening. It is wonderful to see you all back. And uh, I told Pastor it was so fun seeing the Sunday school classes full this morning as I walked down the hall. And uh, then I sat in on the discipler meeting. That was fun. And it's just amazing. Like in the middle of the July, middle of the summer, and no matter what age bracket uh, you are in, like Grace Baptist Church has something for you to do, some place to get plugged in. So it's exciting to hear about all the different ministries that are going on right now. And if you did not get a handout, we do have a handout for you tonight. So they had to print a few more here right before we got started. So if you could just raise your hand, if you did not get a handout for this evening, you're going to want that. And you can turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to dive right in. Pastor, let me know that uh, we can, that Sunday nights, your half is to just dive right into the Word. So we're going to do that this morning, this evening. We already did that this morning. All right, let's get a few more hands raised here, but 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Appreciate you praying for me and uh, Chloe and Kate this coming week. Our, our church, Trinity Baptist Church there in Austin, Texas, we have Vacation Bible School. And uh, I really need you to pray for us because the five-day forecast is 105, 105, 105, 105, and then a cool down to 103. So so uh, I'm in charge of the games, and so I laid out the games for the week, and I talked to uh, the lady that's helping with um, Vacation Bible School, and she said, um, we're going to need to add some water games. And I was like, oh, okay. She goes, yeah. And then I checked the forecast, and it's 100. And that's not heat index. That's 105, and then whatever the heat index is going to be about 197. So, all right, well, let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you so much for this ministry. And it's so fun um, coming back and just seeing these believers plugged in to your work, wanting to continue to reach this community. Um, Lord, thank you for Pastor and his wife and just the leadership that uh, you have brought here with the leadership team and just so many people serving you, so many opportunities to stay plugged in. God, please continue to bless this work. Help them to continue to stay faithful and to love you. I pray that as we look at your word tonight, Lord, please help me. Uh, I pray you'd help focus my mind on it. And I pray that we would learn more about the way that you work tonight from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we are going to look at the word from scripture, the word perform, the word perform. And what that word simply means is, this is going to be groundbreaking. All right, you ready for this? To do. To do. To execute, to accomplish, and to fulfill. It is scripturally defined for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. In verse number 1, um, in this chapter, in 2 Corinthians 8, the Apostle Paul lays a challenge before the church at Corinth. He tells them of the grace of God that was bestowed on the churches of Macedonia and how even though those churches were in deep poverty, they were willing to give a financial gift to minister to other saints. And so the church at Corinth, the Bible says that they were forward. And what that simply means is that they were ready, they were strongly inclined to give a financial gift and had committed to do it the year before, but they had not acted on it. And so let's see the verbiage that God uses to say that. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, um, skip down to verse number 7. The Bible says here, Therefore, as ye abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that ye abound in this grace also. And that grace was to communicate financially and help other uh, churches, help other believers. Verse 8, 
I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you who have begun before, not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. Now, therefore, perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which ye have. So this word perform, God defines it simply as do it perform it. And so we might say, um, if you're in a basketball clinic, you might have a guy say, hey, uh, coach Steven over here, he's going to perform a layup. What is he doing? He's demonstrating it. He's showing it and he's acting it out. He's doing a layup. He's going to perform it. Um, here, we're going to look tonight at five ways in which the Lord performs his work because it's really cool when you start to look at how God does what he does. He tells you how he's going to do it. So uh, let's go, the law first mentioned, let's go to Genesis 26.3, 26.3, and we're going to see here God performs his work prophetically. God performs his work prophetically. Genesis 26 and verse 3. Genesis 26, and we'll start in verse 1. And there was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. And the Lord appeared unto him and said... Go not down into Egypt, dwell in the land which I shall tell thee of, sojourn in this land, and I will be with thee, and will bless thee, for unto thee and unto thy seed I will give all these countries, and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father. And so here, this is the first mention of the word perform, and what I love is God calls his shots. God calls his shots. And if you're an athlete, you know, like one of the coolest things you can do in practice or in a game is call your shot. It's, it, you know, you might be in a basketball game and somebody's guarding you and you're like, well, look, look, three right in your eye, you know, and you just go up there with the, and you shoot a three. And when you nail it in the guy's eye, the crowd goes nuts. You go crazy and you're like, oh, told you, what's up? You know, and you get really excited, right? In golf, this happens in golf. Right? Do you ever call your shot? Or have you learned not to? It's never worked. <laughs> but imagine you know, you're out on the golf course with uh, uh, one of the great golfers, you know, one of those guys. And so you're out there and he goes, hole in one. You know, however you, it was something like that, right? I forgot you got to turn the whole way, right? <laughs> when you're in sports and you call your shot, uh, <laughs> That's what you showed me a week ago. Oh, oh. The, um, you know, I, I can't remember whether it's totally a legend or whether it really happened, but it didn't Babe Ruth, Babe Ruth got up, you know, and, you know, I'm sure the game was on the line. And what did he do? He pointed that, pointed that bat. And then what did he do? Cracked it, home run. He called his shot. <laughs> Red legs. Uh, all right. The God is so amazing. And what I love is that it's not a proud thing for him to do. He's so awesome. He's so great. He calls us shots. 
And what he tells Isaac is, do not go down to, don't go down to Egypt. I made a promise to your father Abraham. I made an oath and I will keep it. And so God performs, he does the things that he says. And here he had made an oath. Hebrews 6.13, as a conference tells us, for when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So look with me in Romans chapter 4, and we're going to see here, not only does God call his shots, he kind of tells you in the Bible that he calls his shots. And I love it. I love the way that God phrases this in Romans chapter 4. You remember God had made that promise to Abraham that he would bless him and make him a, a father of many nations. And Abraham and Sarah went years without having any children. Then Abraham kind of took it upon himself to try to make God's promise come to pass and ended up with Ishmael. And that was, he he got outside of God's will with that. and. We know that God was the one that was going to bring about his promise. And so in Romans chapter 4, it is still in my Bible somewhere. There we go. Romans chapter 4, and in verse number 17, the scripture says, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were. Isn't that cool? Your Bible just says God calls the shots. That God can call something that's not as if it was. And what I get so excited about, and might be getting ahead of myself in the message, but you know what I love when John looks up and he's in the book of Revelation and he sees the city of God descend from heaven and you, you begin to see, and what does God say? He says, write, for these things are true and faithful. And as John writes, he it's he's seeing the future, but he's writing in past tense. I saw this and this came down. Why? Because what God said is going to happen. He's called it like it's already happened, even though it's not. There are things that, that don't even exist yet that God's going to bring into existence. And there will be people that are created that God makes that worship him. It's amazing, but he's able to call those things. Um, and that's why Abraham, I believe in faith, said to his son Isaac, we're going to go, we're going to go worship on the mountain. Then we're going to come back. Why? Because Abraham believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. He says here in verse 18, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that, which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead. Now lesson for you and I, we are weak in faith when we consider the physical, our, our circumstances, our surroundings. Abraham wasn't weak in faith. He didn't even consider that. What did he consider? Well, he was 100 years old. There was the deadness of Sarah's womb. But verse 20, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to what? It's our word perform. God was able to do what he said he was going to do, and he called it even when it was not. That's our God. So God works prophetically. He also works completely. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 13. And if you remember, just to kind of catch up to speed, you have uh, Eli was one of the priests, and Samuel, you remember Hannah had Samuel, and he was just a little boy. She had given him to the service of the Lord, and 
God wakes Samuel up in the middle of the night. Samuel thinks it's Eli calling him. After a few times of that, Eli realizes this is the voice of the Lord, tells Samuel to, the next time he hears it, say, hey, speak for thy servant heareth. And the Bible, I love it, about Samuel, and it's something we all ought to aspire to, Samuel did let none of God's words fall to the ground. He held on to every single one of them. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, God has a message of judgment upon the house of Eli that he gives to Samuel. And Samuel has a choice. Samuel can say, this message is not really palatable. This is not what I want to tell my mentor, Eli. Or he can be faithful to God and declare to him. I think the way Eli says, he says, declare to me every wit. Tell me everything that God said. And in 1 Samuel chapter 3, and look at this in verse number, let's go to verse 10. And the Lord came and stood and called as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, speak for thy servant heareth. And the Lord said to Samuel, behold, and listen to what God says. I will do a thing in Israel at which both the ears of everyone that heareth it shall tingle. In that day, I will perform against. Let me just stop right there. You don't ever want God to perform his word against you. Man, sitting in that discipleship meeting and talking about the intentionality of giving people the gospel. And uh, I haven't been intentional like I should have lately. And, you know, there are people that if they died tonight, it would be without Christ. And God's word would be performed against them because of what we learned this morning. That they're at enmity with God. And well, what happens here? I mean, and, and what's about to happen is so profound that God says, you can't read this without having your ears tingle. It, it, it's almost like it gives you almost like goosebumps or something as you, as you read this. And he says, in that day, I will perform against Eli all things which I have spoken concerning his house. When I begin, I will also make an end. See how serious God is about this? And God is very serious about his judgment. He goes on to say, For I have told him that I will judge his house forever. For the iniquity which he knoweth, because his sons made themselves vile, and he restrained them not. And you can read on your own. Sometime this week I encourage you to read on your own as to what Eli's sons were doing. Because they were immoral. It was awful. They were Uh, even prohibiting people, other people from worshiping God the way that they were commanded to in scripture. And God says, I'm done with this. And when I begin, you better believe I will make an end. And I don't know, as a parent, man, you know, sometimes you can, if you're in a disciplined situation with your child and God says, spare not their soul for their crying. Like you got to deal with that and see it all the way through. But I know as a parent, and your little girl's like four, and, she, and it's tugging at your heart, and she's crying, and you're like, oh. God does not have that problem, right? You finish that discipline. You see it all the way through, amen? God sees his judgment all the way through. So his works are performed prophetically. They are also performed completely. When God begins, he will make an end. Third thing, God performs his work zealously. Look at Isaiah 9, 7. Isaiah 9, 7. God performs his work zealously.
Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. The scripture here, beautiful verse, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we love reading that at Christmas time, right? And talking about the, the birth of Jesus Christ, and that he's going to be called Wonderful Counselor. The, and then here, God is going to call his shot. He's calling something that's not as though it were, verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will what? It's our word. Perform it. Pastor has a message. The zeal of thine house. And he talks about, uh, is it the John passage or one of the other gospels? John passage. Let me ask you, if Jesus flipped over tables in the temple to clear out the sin and wickedness from his father's house, do you think that zeal won't turn over mountains and destroy armies to establish that kingdom? Again, we know and we can read the, the prophecies about what Jesus Christ, when those armies gather together at the end of the tribulation to try to annihilate Israel and wipe the Jews off the mat, they will lift up their eyes for their redemption draweth nigh. And Jesus Christ is coming back, riding on a white horse, and out of his mouth will go a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations. Jesus Christ is coming back to save his people, and it'll be performed zealously. And if you want a picture of that, go look at what he did to the temple to clear out those money changers. That was a little microcosm. That was a little baby example of what he's going to do to rescue and save his people at the end of the tribulation. He performs his work prophetically. He does it completely. And he does it zealously. Look at Isaiah 45. We're still here in, in the book of Isaiah. And this, uh, when it comes to the character of God, this is... The book of Isaiah tells us so much about God's greatness, and um, this passage is like that. I also want to work in here, there is an oath. There's a promise that God makes to us. Again, remember, God tells us beforehand. He calls his shots. Look at what shot he calls here. Isaiah 45, verse 22. Look unto me, and be saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. Why? Because he could swear by no greater, right? I swear by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return. So he has said it. He has spoken it. It's going to happen. And what he said is right. Have you ever said something and then you found out five minutes later that you're wrong? You're like, oh, I guess I shouldn't have said that. What? It's righteousness and it shall not return. That what? Then unto me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear. Look at, look at the next chapter in chapter 46, look at verse number 9. It's such a great passage about the character of God. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times the things that are not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to... Pastor, you remember, you remember the like eight years that it took to build this auditorium? You remember that? And you remember how there were certain things that you, we tried to get done, but there were roadblocks that came up, right? 
And you feel like at times you're like, you know, it feels like the gates of hell are the ones, you know, trying to prevail against getting just an auditorium built. Um, Can you imagine the fight that Satan wants to put on against the work of God? But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strong Satan thinks he is. That God says in verse 11, to accomplish his pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east. Now, I cannot read that anymore. I just can't read it without thinking of, you remember the Finding Dory? And you have Becky, the bird Becky. And she's the one that takes the bucket. And she's got a really long neck and a big eyeball. She's like, and all they're trying to do, all Nemo and his dad are trying to do is to get into the the little uh, aquarium, right? And Becky's going to get them there. And halfway through that, they jump out of the pail. And what they find out later on? They should have just stayed in the pail. Becky had gotten them there. Just like the talking walrus has told them what was going to happen, right? God says, if I need to call a ravenous bird to accomplish my purpose, I can do that. What else can he do? He can call a man that uh, executeth my counsel from a far country. He can do that. Why? Yea, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I also will do it. Now, on a serious note, I was being silly there for a moment, but you know what it reminds me of is a godly young lady that listened to Mordecai. And when he said, maybe God's brought you to the kingdom for such a time as this. See, God could work in a little Jewish lady's heart, put her in the presence of the king, to keep his people from being wiped out and exterminated with the plan of Haman. And God's only, he's so amazing. Not only can he deliver through that young lady, but he can take Haman and his plot and completely flip that upside down. And Haman is hanged on his own gallows that he had designed for Mordecai, right? Why? Because God can execute his counsel from a far country. When God says it, he also can bring it to pass. And he's going to work with zeal to make sure that happens. So look at what it says in verse 12. Hearken unto me, you stout-hearted that are far from righteousness. I bring near my righteousness. It shall not be far off. And my salvation shall not tarry. And I will place salvation in Zion for Israel, my glory. Just amazing. Just amazing. God works zealously. Then he works miraculously. Look at Luke chapter 1. God works his work miraculously. This is a, a beautiful passage here in Luke. Again, you know, another one that we're used to reading at Christmas time, but so applicable for this. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when he, she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. Now, isn't God's language beautiful? You know, sometimes when you think a thought, God's saying, hey, you just cast that in your mind. She cast in her mind, like, what is going on? Verse 30, and the angel said unto her, fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shalt call his name Jesus. 
He shall be great. He shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. So again, you have that uh, oath being confirmed. You have a virgin being told that she's going to conceive, which in Isaiah 9, God says he's going to do, but it's impossible. But nothing's impossible with God. Verse 33, and he shall reign for, uh, over the house of Jacob forever. And of the his kingdom, there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God nothing shall be impossible. And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the zygote leapt in her womb. The unformed blob just leapt in her womb. You know who leaps in wombs? Babies. The babe leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost, and she spake with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the little zygote in thy womb. What does God call it here? Fruit. And the fruit of the womb is his reward. You know what our society is wanting to do? They are destroying God's reward. And again, it's so awesome to hear uh, the, the recent decisions that were made to protect that life. It's the fruit of the womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come unto me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a what? A performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And you know, having been in band and done musical things, you know, you have your performance and it's the time where you've all the practice that you've been doing. You go out there and you perform for everybody, right? I read this and I thought, you know what God did? He said, watch what I can do. And he has favor on this Jewish girl that has kept herself pure. And he miraculously has his son robed in flesh and be born of this woman. And, and the child waxed and grew. And, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. And he's in the temple. And he's questioning with uh, the, the leaders in the synagogues. And they just, as he continued to grow, just no one had ever met anyone like him. And ultimately, Jesus Christ laid down his life. The Son of God lived protected for 33 and a half years. Until it was his time to lay down his life for us. He was dead, buried, and rose again. And in all of that, you know what God did? God had a, an amazing performance. It was a miraculous performance. And it's so fun to see uh, Elizabeth say there, there shall be a performance of the thing which was spoken to you. So God performs his word prophetically. He performs his works completely, zealously, miraculously. And that's all great. But you know what's last here? Read it out loud. God performs his work personally. And I, I purposely left off because some of you might have jumped to this cross-reference. This, this is a good Bible preaching church. So sometimes you got to hide the cross-references, you know, because you guys will jump to the conclusions. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. 
God performs his work personally. You know, it's awesome when you think about the promise that God made to Abraham. And ultimately, you know, we're affected, impacted through that through Christ. It's awesome that God made that promise to Isaac and said, hey, I'm going to confirm the oath that I made to your father. It's awesome to read in your Bible about God's confirmation of that to Jacob and how God worked in his life. It's, it's amazing to see the judgment that God was going to bring up on Eli and say, man, yeah, I don't want God performing things against me. I want God to perform things for me, right? And so make sure that you're on the right side of truth. And then it's um, amazing to see God there that he's for his people at the end of days, he's going to establish that kingdom zealously. And how encouraging is it to know that we have a God that there is no one like him and he's able to be born of a virgin and live a perfect sinless life and die for us on the cross and have those promises. But, you know, God's made a promise to you personally. And here in Philippians 1, 6, he says, being confident of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you will, what? It's our word tonight. Perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There are things that God prophetically has promised to do in your life. You know, I think about um, how Jesus says that he's the good shepherd and the great shepherd of the sheep. And I don't know about you, but I really need God shepherding my life right now. I need God shepherding my soul. And God has promised to do that. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. And neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And what I love in John 10 is he says, other sheep of this other fold I have and I'm going to bring them in. And there's going to be one fold and one shepherd because you can read some of those in Psalms and be like, oh, it's great for the Jew. Well, that's also great for the Gentile because God said he was going to make one fold and be one shepherd over that fold. Then, um, you think about um, just, he says here, being confident of this very thing. Uh, don't you love that God didn't send the angel to do the work in you? Say, you know, I'm, I'm a little tied up, I'm a little busy right now. We're going to delegate this. Hey, Michael, um, I need you to go over there to Sue Blackford, and I just need you to help her out this week, right? Now, I know that God's angels are ministering spirits, but look at the personal connection here. That he, which hath begun a good work in you. That God didn't outsource this. He's working in your life and in my life that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And what is that work? Well, in Romans, you can read where God foreordained that you should continually to be made like the image of Christ, right? You are predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And that's the work that God's going to continue to do in you and in me. So this is my question for you tonight. Is there any promise that God made in his word? You don't really believe that he can do. Because if there is, stop it. Just believe him, right? (laughs) You remember the old uh, skit? I can't remember the guy's name that was doing that. But he's just, stop it. You believe the Lord, believe what he says. Is there any work that God promised to finish that you think he's given up on? You know, this can be a problem for Christians. You just think that God's given up on you. Um, Because maybe the circumstances aren't working out the way that you wanted to or you prayed for or the way that you thought it should go. I'm just telling you, everybody do this. All right, how many of you breathe? All right, if you're breathing, you're here tonight. God is not done in your life. He's not done with you. You cannot run far enough, fast enough to get away from God. Jonah tried it. The psalmist experienced that, right? And then is there any work that God is trying to do in your life right now that you're kicking against? 
Remember that? When Jesus showed up there for Paul and he said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. With that truth that God's bringing into your life, maybe God's wanting you to take the next step in a certain area. God's doing a work in your heart. Are you, are you kicking in against that? Well, Romans 4.21, this is my challenge for you. Let's all be like Abraham and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. What God does, he does it miraculously. He does it prophetically. He does it zealously. And he's, he's doing it in your life and in mine. He's doing it personally. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for just not giving up on us ever. And I thank you, God, that until you return, you're going to continue to do a work in the lives of these believers and in, in, in this church. And Lord, I know that um, I don't want to kick against and rebel against the work that you want to do in my life.